Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and we've had a few previous shows where we dug into various aspects of threat intelligence. But today we're going to look at an aspect of threat intelligence that many people just kind of take for granted. And that's from the perspective of the labs, be they security research labs, threat research labs, threat intelligence labs, um, or if they have some really cool name. Um, the, the issue is that most security vendors produce products and they provide a threat feed to their customers to make it effective. Um, because, I mean, there's so many open source tools, really the big difference really for effectiveness is the feed, the threat intelligence behind the tool. Um, but we found somebody today whose team produces and curates dozens of different kinds of threat intelligence. And we've invited them here to help us understand the different kinds of security research teams that produce them. So I'm glad to welcome Renee Burton, the uh, Senior Director of Threat Intelligence at Infoblox. Thank you for joining us, Renee. Great, thank you. Uh, glad to be here. And uh, this should be exciting because uh, I know one of the big things that really excited me about just uh, working with Infoblox was the fact that they were the first vendor I'd met that they didn't just have a feed, they, they had lots of different feeds. And over the last few years, that's evolved a bit. Just recently, there were some new feeds introduced. Um, you guys have done a lot. So while I've had guests here that we've talked about threat intelligence and how it's used for different purposes um, and how they get it from public sources or private sources like like a, a vendor. Um, but, you know, the labs behind it, they're all typically sponsored by somebody who has a particular annual. Like um, there are feeds like the uh, sanction lists uh, that come out from uh, in the United States. It's the U.S. Department of Treasury that uh, produces a sanction list. Um, and, and so every, and there's a phishing list from people who just do email. So let's kind of talk about who are the different kinds of groups that run these kinds of labs. Yeah, so to your point, there's a, a wide variety of sponsors, right? Each with their own intent. You have government um, sponsors with research labs, and we can use that uh, term generically and talk more specifically about what that might include later. But you can have, uh, there are uh, lots of different government labs. There are various nonprofit labs, um, academic groups, and then industry itself, if you have uh, the, you know, the level of resources, an ideal situation is for you to have your own uh, research group within, within industry. So that differs a little bit from, you know, feed aggregation, where you're taking a variety of different third party feeds and essentially performing data engineering, you're lar largely just doing data massage and then making that available to your customer. That's certainly the easiest way to get Intel. But as you step up into the amount of resources and tailoring for your customers, you want to have your own dedicated um, research group, which in industry is going to be focused largely on what your product space is, right? Um, whether that be an endpoint or, uh, in our case, a DNS-based. Well, and I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, um, it's not just their focus, but um, that also means that they have a different kind of expertise. Um, for example, uh, when I first was doing, uh, you know, threat research back in the in the mid to late 80s, it basically meant that you'd get a sample of a piece of malware and then you'd try to create a signature. When polymorphics came out, we had to figure out, OK, well, the idea of a polymorphic is that it's changing itself to defeat signatures. But there was always this piece of code that did the morphine. And so we'd come up with a signature for that. Um, you know, so, but, but this is like, uh, I like to um, compare it to 
where doctors were a hundred years ago in your town or village, you might have a doctor and they were the doctor. They knew everything. Um, the whole idea of specialists like we have today, I mean, I'll go in just for a checkup and get referred to two or three different specialists because my one doctor no longer can know it all. And I imagine threat intelligence and, and that kind of research has gotten that way as well. It's not just reverse engineering files and looking for signatures, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely quite different and you'll get uh, different groups that are going to specialize. I mean, I would say probably every group specializes in something um, <laughs> as, a, as a broad brush. Um, but in particular, they're going to specialize where they have the most access to data. So you know, picking a kind of at random. Uh, Kaspersky is very much in the endpoint space, right? A, a ton of deep technical expertise in reverse engineering. Um, that level of expertise takes a long time uh, to develop. Uh, another company in a different space would be Arnet. They're in more of the NetFlow type space, which is broad brush metadata that's coming through at volume. They've really focused their um, dedicated their algorithms and expertise into that particular type of data, which isn't to say you don't know other things, but really that you're mastering that. And then in our space, we're in the DNS um, niche area, which is very small because very few groups have very large accesses to um, disparate types of DNS data. And DNS is very arcane. Um, all of these areas are arcane in one way or another, right? That's how it happens when you're in a specialty product. Um, but again, there's only us and a handful of other groups that really specialize in, in that DNS intelligence specifically. Yeah. Cause I remember, um, again, having been in this for so long, you know, we started out with the only security products that existed was desktop antivirus and firewall. Mm -hmm. That was it. There was no other kind of security. Um, and today we've got tools that are, are based around packet capture and analysis, you know, just looking at your network traffic, which is a little different than internet traffic, which is a little different than, you know, uh, the list goes on. Um, and it's gotten fairly complicated. So one of the things is that, of course, before you can investigate or research something, you've got to collect your data, right? So um, working for different vendors, one of the things that I learned early on was that, um, each vendor tends to have their strength in certain markets. And so they have a good uh, foundation of, of information to guide their threat intelligence. So they're not only um, affected by the way that their expertise takes them, but the, the, the raw information they're exposed to. I mean, they can say honeypot, 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 but only certain people go to those honeypots depending on what the honeypot looks like. You know, is it a financial institution or a hospital or something like that? And so we've noticed each vendor tends to also have their area of specialty um, and, and that gives them exposure. So what are the different kinds of methods that you might use um, to collect threat intelligence to do your then work on? Because you don't just collect it and then share it. You collect it. You then have to investigate. You, you do a lot with that. Where do you get that data to start? Yeah, uh, to your point, right? Everything is very. Um, everything you collect is has some degree of bias in it, right? You see what you see. You don't see everything. Nobody sees everything. That's how the world works. Um, and uh, what we try to do, we're collecting raw data, and then we're deriving intelligence from that. Um, you know, as our other elements in the industry, uh, our big data set, because that's where we where we impact customers is in DNS. And so we obviously have 
um, our own recursive resolvers. We have a ton of different types of products, a ton of different types of customers who contribute to that. We have endpoint devices, and DNS forwarding proxies. Those all come through into the, the cloud and the recursive resolvers. We also partner with other third-party um, DNS uh, services so we can get different perspectives than we have in our own network. And then we uh, try to find all the kind of complementary data that can help us. So we'll get registration data, we get zone file data, we get honeypot data, we get spam data, um, anything, uh, IP scanning, literally anything we can get our hands on that'll give us that bigger picture um, that in the end though, for us comes down to how do I make that applicable in the DNS uh, DNS space. Well, and one of the things that uh, you also have a bit of an advantage of, I don't think it's totally unique, but I think you you definitely have a strength in this area, which is that you have a lot of different sources. Um, not only are you, are you producing a lot of feeds, but you're curating feeds from other places and uh, cleaning them up, tightening them up, making them uh, more appropriate for different versions. For example, um, the U.S. sanctions list that I mentioned earlier um, there is a list, but you now actually produce several versions of that list to give uh, you know people kind of the flexibility to decide how harsh do I want to be on sanctions? Because like I know Ukraine, for example, was in the sanctions list, and anybody who is trying to use that list to hey, don't let anybody go to those sites. All of a sudden, a corporate policy might be hey, we're going to support Ukraine but we just can't connect to anything in Ukraine because we're on this sanction list. And then you guys have helped break that out and create multiple lists from it. So in some cases you're doing unique, completely unique research, like you said, from that data, but you're also getting data from other sources and then managing it or manipulating it in different ways to make it useful to people in different ways. Right. Um, yeah, we, we do some degree of curation and the product itself uh, is is very flexible in how you can utilize the data that comes in it. So it allows you to do those, um, being able to manipulate how you use different levels of confidence or threat or, you know, to your point there on the on the country block list, there's a couple of varieties that, that are done um, in that context for sure. Well, and, and uh, just to make clear to the audience, you know, Definitely the Infoblox product uses this or you wouldn't be spending all your time making it. Um, but this threat intelligence, as we've mentioned on earlier shows, is also stuff that could be used by a threat intelligence platform, a tip um, fed into SIMs and things like that. So um, there's a lot of different ways this data is used. So um, I don't want to underplay just how powerful it is to have this wide variety that you that your team provides. Some of it from just you know brute force raw data and other of it where you're just tweaking existing streams, but you're also using the existing streams to validate. I know that you're, you're really big on, on reducing false positives. So as you're doing your research, you know, from raw data, uh, I imagine you're also leveraging some of the other research that we're providing our customers for your own research. Did I say research like five times <laughs> in one sentence? Um, <laughs> but the idea is that you have a lot of resources to really come up with some clean feeds. That, that's a little unique. Um, yeah, we spend an incredible amount of uh, resources on the statistical analysis related to DNS and with a particular focus, focus to reducing uh, false positives. 
primarily for not the number of false positives, but for the impact on our customer base. So if you have false positives for something no one cares about, it doesn't matter, right? If we have a false positive that um, makes it uh, a resource, critical internet resource unavailable to our customers, that's really important. So we, we have written a lot on that. We've done a lot of statistical analysis. We have internal um, statistical learning algorithms that help us decide whether or not something should be put into a block list, um, as well as to understand its popularity. We use that for trend analysis and things like that. And uh, we've published a number of papers, you know, to, to that end. And, and, and to your earlier point, like, yeah, they can, the product can be used uh, in, in a firewall sense. Um, and at the same time, the, the TIED, the threat intelligence data exchange is where all of our data goes in. And we do have, uh, quite a few customers who utilize that as they bring it out and, and utilize it within other parts of their ecosystem. Yeah, being able to share it with, uh, and I know I mentioned Sims and other management, but even just sharing it with your desktop AV tool, your your next gen firewall and things like that to help them out. Um, so even though you're focused and, and your expertise is deep in the DNS, the results of that work actually impact uh, more than just a DNS security solution. And so you're making those feeds available to, to other tools. And so the curation of that data is really important. And, and so we've kind of talked about two extremes, one where you're just digging deep on DNS data and, and doing that original research. You have other groups that are doing the curation of other data and trying to figure out how do we make these feeds from other places? Uh, do we blend them together to create you know useful feeds? Do we uh, maybe filter them so that they become more accurate, uh, or in, in the case of the, the sanction list, do we break them into different areas to provide customers some flexibility? There's, there's, your team isn't just one team. You actually have lots of different teams with different areas of expertise and focus. Is that correct? Um, I would say we're mostly jack of all trades, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we we do have a development team. A, a lot of you know, going back to the the topic of like how different research organizations work. Um, some resource organizations are part of companies that have a lot of resources. They may have an entirely separate, you know, data engineering infrastructure and DevOps that the researchers don't do anything but analyze malware, write papers, um, and that that they're more focused in a publication, thought leadership, uh, academic um, kind of world. In our environment. Um, we're largely soup to nuts. Uh, we run our own infrastructure um, and we write the software, we do the DevOps, uh, we push out the indicators, we do the long-term analysis, we do the short-term analysis, we write the papers. And our research researchers, regardless of where they are located around the world, um, contribute to all of those, to all of those um, aspects of, of our, our, of our mission really. Well, I actually like that because um, I've got uh, a couple of sons and a grandson now, actually, who are in development. Um, even the grandson's a, a senior architect at an organization in the security industry of all places. And what they've told me is that when they were learning to code, because that's what they are, they're coders, but they made sure that they understood networking in and out. I mean, they can they can set up networks mm -hmm. and DNS servers and firewalls and and the whole soup to nuts of, of a network. And by having that 
breadth of understanding, it really helps them be a little more effective in when they're working on very specific projects. So um, I imagine you guys have that, that kind of advantage where everybody has a little bit of breadth so that they don't have to like, oh, I'm going to do my part and hand it off to the next person to do their part. You know, it's not an assembly line kind of a thing. So I, I like that flexibility. But you mentioned the speaking and, and the writing of blogs and stuff like that. Your, your team has done a little bit of that, um, but uh, they don't spend a whole lot of time writing big papers. You guys are focused on customers, right? And producing things for the customers. Um, I guess it depends how you look at it. We've just released yet another um, large uh, paper. So what we, what we are doing uh, in, in the organization, we've made a, a, a you know, a shift in how we've handled stuff uh, starting about uh, eight months ago. And so we're really focused on publishing things that uh, are very meaningful to our customer and have original research um, and are not, you know, short kind of uh, duplicative of what's already out there. So we do a good amount of literature review and then we produce uh, papers. All of our papers uh, in the last several months have been, upwards of 15 pages, 15 to 30 pages. So um, by itself, those are pretty intense to write and get into a, a format that's useful to a variety of people and that meet the threshold of original work. Um, for instance, uh, two of the ones that we just recently released, we released one yesterday on a large malvertising uh, network. And in that case, uh, there's uh, a malvertising network that's impacting a huge portion of the internet. It was just absolutely enormous. Um, and if you were to Google it, basically you'd get like a, how to clean this pop-up uh, out of you, how to get rid of this adware. There really hasn't been any serious investigation of it um, in the security industry, no, no real presentations, even though it turns out to be this truly massive uh, network. Um, and so our researchers were able to start to dig that. They used all the DNS, the registration data. They were able to find infected sites and infect themselves and then uh, discover that, in fact, this network is uh, actually uh, doing malware. Um, so it's not just adware that's out there. And what we decided at that point was, OK, we've actually shown that this is uh, not just annoying. It's not nuisanceware. It's actually malware. Um, it's very clever. And no one else we felt had reported or reported accurately on that. So, you know, then you really dig in and you spend a good uh, a good chunk of time writing something that's very in depth. So we've we've published uh, five or six papers in the last couple of months. Um, you know, that are in depth. We've published also an in depth statistical analysis of domain rankings. Um, as Alexa, as a uh, popularity, uh, has stopped happening. Um, a lot of people are just running to the next thing that uh, is out there and available. And what we want people to understand is that the bias in the network that you see in the data you collect going to your early point is really significant. And it can impact, um, and not only can, it will impact um, uh, what domain rankings look like. So we spent a lot of time analyzing that and and writing papers. Well, yeah, Alexa, I think, was living on a lot of momentum. It was just the thing everybody mm -hmm. used. And um, <clears throat> that, that's what you used. Uh, kind of like uh, uh, IBM PCs for years. I mean, you didn't use a Mac at, at the office. <laughs> right. Everybody just used IBM. Why? 
Well, there was plenty of, of information out there showing about the, the greater capabilities of the Mac type of hardware and stuff. Um, but uh, everybody just kept using that. And so now's an opportunity for people to take a look at, um, you know, different kinds of, of ranking systems. So, um, so it sounds like a lot of your work also, it would encompass kind of being a, a good neighbor, a community. Because uh, I know uh, not only do these papers help other researchers, I mean, you're basically sharing your thinking with others in the industry. So as an industry, security labs actually do a certain amount of coordination, cooperation. But you also just have, uh, you guys put out a GitHub uh, site now and things like that, where some of the stuff is just available to anybody. So you produce things that support, quote unquote, Infoblox products, but you also do good community work too. Can you talk about that a moment? Um, yeah, so I think that's a maturing that the entire industry uh, is is going through, and I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, you know, over time, you originally have uh, the notion. You know, a lot of the industry is, it ends up being related in some way <clears throat> to government intelligence. You know, originally, including myself, um, having spent you know 22 years at National Security Agency, your, your general feeling is, I have secrets; they're mine. I don't share them with anybody. Um, and uh, in some cases, that's important. And in other cases, it makes it impossible for for um, people to secure themselves. And by by doing more information sharing, we actually can you know have one plus one equals three kind of concepts. So what you've seen over time is kind of a public way that people publish is originally they published with a I saw something, it's cool, and you should be afraid of it. But I give you no information on how to actually use that, right? Like, yep. I saw it and I'm telling you that it's a state actor. There's no way for you to verify that. And I'm not giving you, any, you know, it, I'm not giving you anything, but I'm cool. So <clears throat> those are really useless publications. Uh, then the next, you know, sort of thing that we we saw and is, okay, I'm going to show you. I did some really cool things. It's very interesting. I know a lot. But I'm going to give you one or two indicators. I'll give you a domain IP address. I might give you a file hash. Uh, if I only give you a file hash, it's like the worst thing I can do. It's it's like you're probably not going to ever see this. Um, so those are the worst kind. And a little bit of dribs and drabs. Infobox engaged in this as well, right? So you go look back a couple of years ago. All, all of the industry did this. Um, and then people are like, okay, wait a second. We're communicating on the back channel. We need to try and help each other. We've seen uh, more and more transparency with the government research labs as well, which I think helps move this along. Uh, those of us coming out of government are, are um, more inclined uh, to push transparency as well. I, I really I really strongly believe, and certainly myself. And then what you saw next was, um, including Infobox, uh, you see like, okay, I'm gonna tell you about it. And here, I'm gonna give you a lot of indicators. You see this in our, our log four shell work. We gave out thousands and thousands of indicators, um, uh, but we put them in a block, which makes it really difficult for users. Um, so uh, retroactive to that in, in January and February this year, we had a discussion like, how do we become better uh, players to the community? We're not trying to hide anything. We're trying to contribute to everybody. So as a result of that, we did create an open uh, GitHub. A number of other um, security vendors, both nonprofit and profit, have, have done the same kinds of things. And then every indicator related to any publication we have 
that we know at that time when we publish, it is goes into that that open GitHub as well. Um, and then we continue to regularly contribute for Ukraine. That that's one that we actually maintain on a regular basis. So in a way, we're we we have products, but we're also producing some open source content as well. So absolutely yeah. right, and it's really important uh, to be part of that. Everyone gets to build off of everyone else, right? We're standing on the shoulders of giants, really. Well, and um, as we're approaching the end of our of our thirty minutes here, I wanted to get one important thing. You'd mentioned that you know you come from a government background, uh, deep research, secret, secret stuff, and um, since you've come to help run the security labs at uh, InfoBlocks. Um, you've been kind of reshaping the team. And the term that I've heard you use a lot is uh, in describing where you're taking it is in the hunting area. Um, now, there's this hype in the industry still today about threat hunting and, and how people should do threat hunting. Uh, then you look at all the surveys and you're lucky if 5% of, of even the big companies uh, do hunting. They just don't have the bandwidth for it. Um, so they kind of have an idea of what hunting is. But you've got a different, your, hunting means something different to you. So you want to describe what you as a security research lab, what does hunting mean for your organization that you're trying to build up? Um, yeah, I imagine it actually has a lot of interpretations, you know, depending on where you sit. Uh, in our case, the way that I explain it to, to our researchers is uh, from our recursive resolvers and our uh, collection of, of data that we have in DNS in the cloud, plus our other sources, right? I know something's wrong. I just don't know what it is. So we really have that hunt mentality that um, we, we don't know what it is, but we know something is wrong. So what we'll do is we'll use statistical methods. We'll compare and contrast data over time and between sub-networks, right? Depending on how we, we get it. And we're looking for things that are anomalies um, uh, or kind of almost like a reverse anomaly. So in that malvertising case, I was just talking about the one that's Omnitor. Um, it's crazy how spread out it is. So usually when you're looking at threats, you're gonna see them in a fairly small number of networks. Um, if you see stuff in a large number of networks, it's generally more often than not going to be some kind of advertising or tracker or an application or something like that. But in this case, you have something that's fairly recently registered at the time we started looking at it um, and is in a large number of networks. So that, that's kind of an alarm bell in itself and an unusual sort of suspicious um, suspiciousness. And then we look at those uh, as leads for us to try and figure out what else is going on. So that's what we mean when we use the term hunt. We're hunting in hunting in the DNS, not from a given um, specific uh, lead or a trigger from an existing known threat, but from the fact that overall we know there's something wrong and we need to focus on what those might be from behavior or statistics. And I think that's important because um, a lot of the labs that I've worked with in, in previous lives, you know, they're so focused on the malware side, they spend most of their time looking for the new variants. You know, they're, mm -hmm. that, that's their idea. So they're not actually starting from quite as scratch as you are. They already know there's a threat um, and they're just watching how it evolves over time. And they spend a lot of effort and it's all useful. I think this is the other mm -hmm. thing that I want to I wrap up. It's not like there's a right way or a wrong way. Um, it's one of those things where and why you guys work as a community, I think, uh, amongst labs is that each of you have different areas of expertise and it's only when you share them 
that we can start, you know, really getting a handle on some of these things. Because while they're looking for a variant, your team might be finding all the places that a variant might come from. So that even if the variant's undetectable yet, because it's, you know, a zero day version of it, your team will be able to see it or see the site and block the location. And, and, and that's just the simplest example of, you know, blocking access to the malware versus blocking the malware, you know, work together kind of a thing. Right, exactly. <clears throat> Both the collaboration and then the defense in depth, right? Yeah. You know, you're not going to be able to solve, like, people are tricky. People are smart. Bad people are really smart. They're really tricky. Nobody wants to believe that. That's true. They are. So um, <clears throat> defense in depth and being able to try and, you know, get your boundaries however you can, including the endpoint, including the DNS, including in, in the network level, including the different protocol protocols, um, and then sharing across those realms, th- that absolutely is the only way that uh, we can protect our customers. Well, unfortunately, we are running out of time. And the one thing that we didn't get into, and we'll have to probably plan some future event to get together and talk about the machine learning and and those aspects of your your lab, not just the raw research, but the tools that you develop, maintain both for research as well as the tools that you develop that actually end up, you know, in product uh, for customers. So there's a huge engineering side that uh, we'll we'll have to investigate that later. Um, but thank you for joining us today, Renee. This was great. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for their time as well. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.